Okay, good morning, everyone. Welcome back. Coming to you live from the Summerton Community College of Summerton, Philadelphia. Continuing over here with the Maharal and Kabbalah Satara, specifically the Maharal and why the Torah was given in the desert. Perik Chavav, the 26th Perik of Tif Eris Yisrael, which is all about Torah. And as we proceed, we're up to a new paragraph over here. We're on page Pei of the standard edition of the Tif Eris Yisrael. The Maharal has brought down this medrash that said that there were three mediums that the Rebbeinu Shalom gave the Torah via, Kadosh Baruch Hu gave the Torah to Klai via desert, fire, and water, Midbar, Esh, and Mayim. There's something significant about these three mediums being the mediums through which the Torah is given. And Maral is explaining the significance of the three, what they represent, what aspects they uh, are significant of and, and why those three aspects specifically are the aspects that that uh, are, that um, create the process through which the Torah is given to Kleiso. So we saw one approach, we saw two approaches, we two, two and a half approaches maybe. Now the Maral is going to give us another explanation. He started this parak um, ostensibly started by the Maral explaining why the Torah has to be given in a desert. And that's where the Maral established like his foundational points, what a desert means, what means what it represents. It's an idea of, uh, represents a desolate, barren um, area in this world, but far from that having a negative spin and a negative connotation, he was telling us the more desolate and barren it is, the more lifeless it is, the more removed from, from, um, Activity in life that actually makes it closer to God, closer to Hashem, because life down here is in opposition to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak. It's the more physical it gets, the more fertile it gets, physically fertile, physically active, physically thriving and teeming with life, like the fish pond that's that's crawling with fish. That's actually further away from Hashem because it represents more physical existence, and the more spawns, the more lively it is. That's physical existence begetting more physical existence. The desert, being a place that's barren, desolate, is a place actually closer to Hashem. The Torah is Hashem's wisdom, Hashem's essence in materialized form. It has to be given in a place which is closer to Hashem, not further from Hashem. That's where the Maral began. Those were his foundational key points over there. And based on that, he built this uh, approach as to what, what, uh, what the Shatnat Medrash is. And the Torah is given through Esh, Maim, and Midbar, through water, fire, and the desert. He gave us a couple of ideas. Now he's going to give us a new approach in how you put these three aspects together. What's Midbar, what's Asian, what's mine? Why is the Torah given through a desert, given through fire, given through water? So let's see that now. So we're the, towards the top of the right-hand column, Pei Omid Aleph, or not page, page Pei. New paragraph over here, and here we go. Another approach in this Medrash of Midbar, Asian Mimes, the Torah has three aspects, three distinct aspects, three aspects facets to the Torah, what the Torah is when the Torah is given to us on Shavuos, each one distinct, each one necessary, and each one complementing the other two. So there's three distinct aspects to what the Torah is, and that's going to line up with the three mediums that the Torah was given via fire, water, and desert are going to line themselves up with three different aspects of what the Torah is. Let's see. First aspect we have to know about is that all 
areas of the Torah, all the requirements of the Torah, all the information of the Torah, everything that makes the Torah what the Torah is, is all inherently good. It's impossible for there to be anything in the Torah which is not good, which is not beneficial to us, beneficial to mankind, beneficial to the universe. The Torah is inherently toiv, good, and objectively good, objectively true, objectively sound, and, and, and correct and appropriate, and beneficial. And there's nothing else that can really make that claim that it's inherently good. Any other system out there, there's always going to be some bias, some objective, some agenda that gets in there, and you can't see, say it's inherently good. Even as we, we're talking about other systems of law, other systems of governance. So you take something like the United States Constitution, which we keep falling back to that, which is something that was devised by the founding fathers. So is that inherently good? It's hard to say that's inherently good. It's, in, it's there to try to maintain a country, but... Um, yeah, sure, if you're a resident of the United States of America, then you could say the Constitution is certainly a good thing. What if you are um, a subject of, 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 of the Queen? Subject, loyal subject of the Crown, of, 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 of uh, British Empire. Can you say the, the United States Constitution is something that's inherently good? Well, not necessarily, no. It's, um, it's uh, not good if you're British, right? Not good if you're Mexican. Not good if you're a Native American, American Indian. Not good if you're um, Canadian, maybe? I don't know. But it's good if you're American. Is it inherently good? No. It's, it's subjectively good. It's good relative to the people that it's trying to take care of. The Torah is derocheh darchei noyim. V'chol nasi v'shad sholom. Eitz chaim hi l'machazikim ba v'zaimcheh m'ushor. The Torah is eitz chaim hi. It's derocheh darchei noyim. The Torah attests on, its, on itself as self-defining, as self-describing as being... All of its ways are pleasant, are user-friendly. It's Eitzchayim, all uh, confers life. It's something that is inherently good. It's not good if you're on the right team and bad if you're on the wrong team. It's good for everyone. You're going. Torah has, has instructions for the Goyim also. The Torah has, 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 has what to tell... Um, to the Gentiles, if you're a guy, this is what the Torah's instructions are for you. If you do this, again, it's inherently good. There's nothing in the Torah that is that you need to be on the right team for. As opposed to every other system of law, of governance, if you're on the winning team, this is this is great. If you're on the opposing team, we're not designing this with you in mind. So this is the first aspect of the Torah. It's toiv. It's toiv. It's something that is inherently good, cannot be bad, cannot be harmful. There's no harmful side effects that come from taking the Torah in, in any dosage. And the more you increase the dosage, the more beneficial its effects are. There's no side effects. It has... It's safe for everyone. It's safe for everyone in any quantity. And it only brings beneficence and... and... Um, Increased quality of life. Good, that's an amazing idea. Kinemar, Maral speaks us out. For example, he gives us an example. Kabbalah Savicha Vasimecho, that one of the Torah's instructions is honor your parents. That's definitely good. The Torah tells us honor your parents, give your parents respect, which parent doesn't want respect. And it's good for the child to, to be trained to respect his parents. That's a good thing. That's inherently good for the younger generations to take care of the older generations, right? I'm speaking here. We're all from the younger generations. Everyone gathered around the table. But we can imagine, we can relate to like, if, you know, Bez Hashem, when we get older, we're definitely going to want our children and grandchildren to take care of us, right? 
and it's good for them? Good for them to, good for that. No, no. I don't mean no, no. feed you. When I say take care of you, I don't mean to feed you the no, no. applesauce. That's not what I mean. No, no. Even I get home, you know what? I get home at the end day. No, no. You know the first thing I say when I get home? How, how are you going to say in Yiddish, my uh, mother? See, is objecting over here. Again, I don't mean, I don't mean, I don't mean pushing you, you know, down the hall, pushing the wheelchair down the hallway to the to bingo night. I don't mean that. I don't mean that. You know, you know what I mean. What, what, you know what? What's the, you know what the first thing I say when I get home? Where's supper? No, it's the second <laughs> thing that I say. The second thing that I say. What is the first thing that I say when I get home at night? I grab a random kid. Well, no, halavai, uh, because not over when I get home at night. But what is the first thing that I say when I get home at night? Just grab a random kid. You know what I tell my kid? <laughs> no, bring me my cracks. Okay. Go get me my cracks. Changes in my cracks tonight because of this, you know, you're on your feet all day. You're wearing shoes all day. Your feet, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I don't mind sharing this with Ilum. Please don't share this with anyone else, though. Um, okay, anyone out there in WhatsApp land, just keep this between ourselves. I, I, I uh, you know, my cracks, I walk in, you know, the cracks get all, all the upstairs, go to, you know, the bedrooms in the back, then my cracks are, you know, kept in my room, my bedroom. So I'm not going to schlep up the stairs and get my cracks. That's what the kids are there for, right? So that's, 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 it's, that's, that's amazing. Your kids take care of you, right? Remaisha, no, it's not, they go bring me the cracks. It's good for me, certainly good for me, and it's good for them too. That's what I keep telling myself, right? Good for them, being mechanic them, giving them, uh, you know, chinuch and building up character and giving them right values and respecting the elderly generations and whatever, all that other stuff. It's good for them, probably, presumably. But, uh, right? Ask your kids for your cracks. Why should you go up the stairs and schlep all the way to the back of the house to get your cracks? That's what you have kids for. So that's inherently good. That's inherently good. Okay, let's move on. There's enough about cracks. Expression, don't be mean to your kids because they're going to choose. They care when they're going to get old. Yeah, you know what? how do we say that in English? What? Don't be too mean to your kids. Yeah. Don't be excessively mean to your kids. Anyway, so let's get back to my route. Let's get back to my route. Um, says the Maral, he's grabbing a mitzvah random. That's inherently good. That's a, that's a, a beneficence. It's good for humanity, good for society, good for the parents, good for the kids. So that's the first aspect of the Torah. Everything in the Torah is inherently good. Is good. Is virtuous. Is a virtue. Is a beneficence. It's good for society, good for humanity, good for the universe. Such a again. Let's just dwell. It's a beautiful, beautiful idea. Excuse me. Nothing in the Torah that's not good. Now, there's something that could be good, of beneficence, objectively, inherently good, but um, it's, it's, um, it is dispensable. It's not indispensable. You can have something that's good, but, you know, we would be okay without it also. It's not something that necessarily has to exist. It's, existence isn't a necessary existence. Right? It's, it's dispensable. There's so things that are good but indispensable. What's an example? Like the sun. The sun is the sun good? Yeah. Sun's amazing, right? Sun gives us light during the day. It, it gives heat. It gives life. It gives um, plants photosynthesis, right? Without the sun, we'd be in big trouble. We'd be in big trouble without the sun. We'd enter a new ice age. What? We'd be dead. We'd be dead. That would also be dead. That's right. And uh, we'd be dead in a new ice age. So you need the sun. Now, the sun is good. It's definitely a beneficence. It, it's, it's a virtue. And it's a non-negotiable. It's indispensable. 
its, its existence is a necessary existence. Now we're zooming in on the second aspect. So you can have something that's good and indispensable. You can have something that's good but dispensable. A good cup of coffee. Is that indispensable? Well, it depends who you ask. But let's say something else which is inherently good is it's of beneficence, but it's, I don't need to have it, right? So says the Ma'arau, that's the second aspect is, is when we have this measuring stick, is this dispensable or indispensable? Is it necessary for the world's kiyam or is it unnecessary? But it's nice when it's around. It's, is its existence, we would say, mukrach is in existence which is part and parcel of the universe, it's a necessary existence, or it's unnecessary, dispensable or indispensable. So says the Ma'arau. Don't think that when we have mitzvahs in the Torah, these mitzvahs are A, inherently good, but B, you know, they don't, their existence is not a necessary existence, they may, perhaps they are dispensable. Um, like, you know, helping somebody out, doing someone a favor, but like that was not something that was necessary, it didn't have to be done, it was dispensable, wasn't indispensable. Says the Ma'aral Dabrza Einoi. When it comes to Torah and Mitzvahs, everything the Torah is not only inherently good and it's impossible for it to be ungood, everything is objectively good, it's also of a necessary existence, indispensable. Every aspect, every facet, every Diktukoshal Dabr of the Torah, every microscopic detail of Kola Torah Kula, of the entirety of the Torah, is a, is a necessary existence, is indispensable, and the world wouldn't be able to exist without, any, without, without even a single dot on the I and cross of the T. Everything needs to be there. Everything needs to be there. Let's see that. Another fascinating idea. This is the second aspect of what makes Torah Torah. First of all, as we said, everything in the Torah is inherently good. Everything is inherently good. Cannot be ungood. Cannot be not good. Not only that, the existence of every facet, every aspect, every detail in the Torah is a necessary one. It's indispensable. Every little iota of every aspect of every one of the 613 mitzvahs is like the sun. Is If you would take it away, like Arthur said so succinctly, we would all die. The universe would cease to exist. That's a mind-blowing idea. It means we know Torah is very vast. Torah is very big. Torah starts with the written law. And then we, that's the 24 books, the five books of Moses, 24 books of the Tanakh. Then we have the oral law. We have, uh, we have six orders of the Mishnah. We have 36 tractates of the Gemara. And then we have all the commentaries and the super commentaries and the super super commentaries and the sub commentaries and super commentaries. And every single idea, every single element of every single drop and detail of Torah is indispensable. They all need to be there. That's, that's a crazy idea. But it's the truth. It's the truth. Everyone is, is like a sun on its own. And don't think that anything can be yanked away. If anything is taken away, then, then the universe ceases to exist. Again, he gives us examples. It's uh, uh, very easy for us to understand that like when it comes to the injunction, thou shall not steal. For sure, you know, that's something that's inherently good. It's good for society to have a rule that you're not allowed to steal. And that definitely is something which is of a necessary existence. If we would say, well, okay, well everyone can steal, then society breaks down and the world breaks down. Says the Ma'aral, if you can understand that, which we all understand that, that thou shall not steal, is, has to be around, has to exist, that 
can be is and needs to be extended to every aspect of kolatarkula ad diktukoshal dabar down to the smallest most sublime and and uh, um, smallest detail it, it has to be there, it's got to exist. So that's the second aspect of the Torah, that is, Muchrach Liyais, its existence is a necessary existence, every aspect of the Torah. What's the third aspect? So we talked about inherently good, we talked about a necessary existence, it's got to, it's got to be there. It's indispensable, indispensable. V'oid, and in, indispensable and indisposable. V'oid, Dvar Shlishi, third aspect of what makes the Torah Torah. Shekol Mitzvah HaTorahim Elokim. All misses of the Torah are all godly. They're all coming from the divine. They're of divine origin, not man-made, not constructed by even the any any man any any human mind, even the most brilliant minds. No, every aspect, every detail, every facet that you find anywhere in the Torah is coming from a divine source, from the divine source. Bena Torah das tivius speaks to an idea that we've been discussing the last few days. Torah is not a natural system of laws, oidasni musius, or a natural system of, of conduct, oiderich eretz, or, or um, uh, you know, social mores and conventions, lakiyum hayisha, which is just there to make society function. The, you know, the, the, the analogy that we've been using the last few days, which other systems of governance and ordinance is, is exactly just that. Social constructs, social conventions, arrangements, and ideas, even principles that are there just to maintain the functioning of society. You take society, you figure out society, figure out how people work, figure out what you want to see, what your goals and objectives are for this country. Okay, we'll make a system of laws. That's not what the Torah is. The Torah is not after the fact. That's not taking society and then figuring out society and making a system that will help society function. Like some people have maintained, even back in the Maral's day, 400 years ago, there were people who were challenging this and saying, yeah, the Torahs of, of man-made origin, Mosaic law, came from Moses or came from a later point in time, came from the Pharisees, the Pharisees perhaps, who, who um, decided that uh, we have to have a system of governance and ordinance, and this is constructed by brilliant minds, but that's what it is, it's man-made. Says the Maral, no, it's not true. Some who have maintained that it's just social constructs, social conventions, and constructed and, 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 and authored by people. The Torah is divine. And all of its words, all of its principles, all of its teachings are divine coming from Hashem Himself. Coming from Hashem Himself, they say when Baruch Ber used to, uh, before he would learn, Baruch Ber, he was, you know, have his Gemara on the table. And, uh, you know, Baba Basra, Baba Metziah, Ksubis, Yavamis, before he would learn, he would just spontaneously clutch the Gemara, embrace the Gemara, and smother his Gemara with kisses. That's what he used to do with Baruch Bear. And he would explain, says, you know, it was spontaneous, spontaneous. Like every time he would say, I to learn, and he'd say, what other work out, is there out there? Where else can you find a volume? Can you find a book? That every word is truth. Every word is a statement of absolute, utter truth, undeniable truth, categorical truth. There's nothing else like that out there. Every word is divine, every word is true, every word is emes, there's nothing else like that out there. And this is the idea that the Maral is capturing over here, the same idea. Other works, other books, they're entertaining, they are, you know, admirable in the wisdom that went into that. 
you know, the, the charter of uh, this charter, this constitution, this declaration, this this epic poem, whatever it may be, they're impressive. But can we say every single word that is inherently true and objectively good and truth? No, because it's man-made, it's artificial, and it's going to have faults and limitations. As it's going to be no better than the natural limitations and faults of, of any member of the human species. You, 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 you don't grab a volume of Shakespeare, even if the people who are the Shakespearean um, scholars and, and, and clutch and uh, embrace it and smother it with kisses, the biggest mathematicians, you know, they don't take the, um, the book of the elements. The elements. Who wrote the elements again? Archimedes? Not Archimedes. Who wrote the elements? One of the Greeks. One of the Greeks. Euclid. 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 Right? Euclid. He wrote the elements. So that's like the Bible, Lahabdul, of, of, of math, of mathematics, right? Euclid's elements. So, out of Yamazet, they still study it. Abraham Lincoln taught himself how to think with the, with the, with the, the elements, really. He taught himself how to think, he taught himself logic with the Euclidean mathematics. Um, but, but the biggest mathematicians, they don't you know, clutch and embrace it and hug it. Um, that connection is not there, that emotional connection is not there. Whereas with the Torah, um, it's of divine origin and it is divine. It is, itself is divine and, and it's emes Everything that's there is truth. It's truth and it's every aspect, every fat, every drop, every detail, every micro detail is coming from the divine and when we get that, we understand that, we understand where Baruch Bear was coming from, maybe we would do that ourselves, embrace, clutch our Gemaras, our Shulchan Aruchs, our Mishnais, our Chumashim. Everything here is divine, as opposed to having any man-made um, input or contribution. Um, yeah. Says the Maharal, that's what allows the Torah to be that vehicle that brings us into the world to come. Into the world to come, the fact that it is of divine origin and it represents the divine, it is the divine in a certain aspect. That's what allows the study of the Torah to bring a person into Olam Haba. Right? Because Olam Haba is about Hashem's existence, about bonding with the, the Rebbein Shalom or the Kosh Baruch Himself. And I need a entry pass. I need a, you know, Shlomo was talking about where you get entry tickets and entry passes to the, you know, public life, to the uh, zoos and things like that. So you have to go to the right place to get the right pass to the right place, right? So a public library is there to promote um, wholesome, enriching uh, family, fun. family fun. So that's where you go to get those free passes. Shlomo just shared this with me, a good idea, a good, idea, a good tip. You get free pass to the Elmwood Park Zoo in Norristown from a public library. You gotta go to the right place to get the right pass. You want to get to Adam Haba, which is Hashem's existence, which is all about bonding with the Abishter. You have to get the right place to get into the infinite. You have to bond with something in this world, which is the infinite, which is this Torah. You bond with Hashem's Torah. That's your entry pass into the world to come. It says the Ma'aral. It points out something very obvious in logic. If the Torah would have been just about, you know, social conventions and arrangements, an artificial system for mankind. How could that bring you into the world to come? How could something artificial, man-made, bring you into a world which is God-made? 
doesn't work. You need the right entrance pass. So that's why the Torah is able to do that because the Torah, everything is coming from the Rebbein Shalom. So those are our three aspects of what the Torah is. The Torah is inherently good, A. B. It's something which is a necessary existence. It can't not exist. Every aspect of the Torah has to exist. It's indispensable, indisposable. And finally, C. Torah is of divine origin. Every word, every micro detail is coming from HaKadosh Baruch Levikach, therefore, Getting back to the Medrash, the Torah is given through three mediums, Eish, Maim, and Midbar. These three mediums represent these three aspects. Let's see how. Bamayim, through water. The Torah characterizes water with something, as we saw earlier, that gives beneficence, that gives goodness, that gives muchness, that gives only, only um, constructive effects and, and, and outcomes. V'zehu ha-toiv. This is toiv, kiheim gishme bracha la'olam. Water provides life and bracha, blessing to the world. Kacha toiv, hiya toiv agamr. Toiv is inherently good, like water is the source of life. Water is inherently good. K'maisha amr alzeh yarev kamatar lichi. Like Maisha Rabbeinu says, we quoted this passage earlier already, let my teachings drip like rain. Just like rain brings life. Without rain, there's no life. Avatar chaim lo'olam. Torah also provides life. K'maisha amaru. It's inherently life, goodness, muchness, bounty, and blessing. So that's the water aspect. The water medium is this idea that Torah is coming into the world, Torah, which is inherently good. So that's why the Torah comes through water. The Nineveh Be'esh. Torah is also given through fire. What does fire represent? Torah is powerful. It is something that is a, of a necessary, indispensable existence, and that shows up in the aspect of fire, something that is necessary and has to exist, something that has an a, 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 um, internal power. It, it's stark, powerful. Um, that is the medium of fire. Fire, which is um, self-generating, self-contained power. There's power there, there's heat, there's, there's energy, um, there's strength. Bold are my, are, are my words, not like fire. Nu Hashem, says Hashem. Like a hammer that shatters the rack. So that's the strength, the internal strength of Torah. It's comparing the Torah to fire, not just fire, but the, the idea of fire being something powerful, uh, a, a, a um, self-driven, powerful force that 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 um, you know affects everything in its path. Um, says the Maral, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a straightforward idea. It's something that has a necessary existence that can't not exist that is indisposable indispensable gives a certain power latent power um, a self-generating power like we get the, the example of the sun earlier right the sun something that has to exist something that can't not exist it, that that confers a power and that's the idea of H this idea of chayzik of, of power of strength something that is indisposable indispensable you can't budge you can't get it out of the way you can't remove it if you remove it it removes everything the sun, the fire, cannot be removed. It's too strong. It has to be here. Torah itself as well. Every aspect of Torah, every diktuk, every detail, every prat, every micro-element of everything in the Torah is that powerful, strong force that has got to be here. 
That's the second aspect. And the finally, the third aspect the Torah that we just mentioned of Neshat Torah, he elokis, the Torah is godly, sichlis, it's coming, it's intellectual, spiritual, kinds uh, are coming from Hashem Himself. Benenimusis, it's not just a social convention, a social arrangement. It's not something that was put together by mankind. That's why it's given in the desert, to make it clear and to use that medium to bring something here, to grant something which is only godly, only divine, not man-made. And this harks back to the foundational idea that the Maral establishes the parak with, which he says again, As we explained earlier, the desert represents something that is removed from anything man-made, removed from anything that is earthly, removed from anything physical. Um, I explained this also in my work, that's what he talks about. Pesach and Yitzhiyah. As we explained from the Medrash earlier, when we talked about how everything flees when the Torah comes, but the desert doesn't flee. The desert is in consonance, in sync with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but areas which are, which are teeming with life down here are in opposition to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So this is the idea of the Torah being entirely divine. Um, that's why the Torah is given in the desert and not in a settlement, settled area. Where do you find in the settled, inhabited areas where man is, is hanging out and man has transformed that's where you find nature, that's where you find this world, the world that is man-made, so to speak, where man gets involved, but the Torah is not man-made, it's not artificial, it's not natural, it's, it's supernatural, it's coming from above and beyond. This is quite clear and straightforward and understandable to people who understand wisdom, and hopefully uh, by this point that's all of us, right? And this is a richtige pshat over here, says the Maral. Mitzad kol gibel bechinas elu hatayr hinivdelus men adam comes to all three of these aspects. Torah is now removed from a person, and yet it's given to mankind nevertheless. That's the miracle of the Torah. It's removed from all matters physical, removed from from uh, from our physical existence, and yet it's given to us in its entirety, in our entire existence. It bridges that gap. That's why the measure tells us just like these three mediums, Eish, Maim, and Midbar are Hefker, accessible to everyone. That means they're removed from the world. They have different elements and aspects of above <coughs> uh, concepts that are man-made concepts, above um, ideas that may not be inherently good. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. And certainly above an existence which is a, 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 a disposable, dispensable existence. The Torah defies all three. Torah is is above all three of those, and that's the this approach. The Myrel's uh, approach over here of the three mediums that the Torah is given through Aish, Maim, and Midbar, and that wraps up this paragraph. Bezer Shemiz Baruch. We will continue tomorrow with the next one, and thank you all for joining. Have a wonderful day.